Hey, Marcus, do you like movies? Yes, I do. Hey, Tamsin, do you like movies? I think so. You know, I think so too. You know, people are like, I think, therefore I am. I say, I think, therefore I'm bored. And then yeah. I was told, if you're ever bored, have that means you're dehydrated. But I don't think that's true. Hi, Doug. This is Zebras in America movie podcast, the greatest podcast about movies and zebras that's ever existed in this quadrant of the world. And uh, Marcus, would you like to introduce our esteemed guest this evening? Yeah, we are joined by uh, Tamsin Cleary. She's a, a film writer, freelance film writer for hire. Um, she's written for some really cool platforms. I mean, places that I would love to write for, like Sight and Sound, BFI. Um, I came across her on Twitter, uh, our Twitter handle, mainly because a friend in real life and friend of the show, Martin Kessler, would uh, would tweet her stuff a lot. And like, Hi, Martin. Outside, hey, hey, Martin. <laughs> hey, Martin. Martin, what's up? Um, outside no, of like. Nothing much. <laughs> outside of the film stuff. Uh, Tamsin's like very funny Like she tweets a lot of funny shit on Twitter So that, that'll Goodness. always kind of A funny Twitter handle too At Agnes Harda um, yes. Is a really cool Twitter handle And then, But then I noticed too Like once I followed her It's just like oh okay Vincent Gallo um, Freddie Got Fingered Which is you know yes. uh, The namesake of this podcast um, Olivia Sayas Fossbender Douglas Sirk and, you know, some of these things uh, that, that, that I'm mentioning kind of bleed into her writing as well. So it's kind of like, oh, she's uh, we have a lot in common. And then I think maybe a couple of weeks ago, she just tweeted out, hey, someone had me on their podcast. And I was like, oh, I think this is the perfect opportunity. I think I woke up, uh, did my stretching, whatever, then opened up Twitter, of course. And I think it was like the first tweet I saw that day. And then I like I uh, hit the DMs. And then here we are a couple of weeks later. I, th- I thought she'd be a perfect fit. So here we are. Well, Thank you so much. I couldn't ask for a nicer introduction, and it's glad to. Uh, I'm glad to hear that my Machiavellian scheme worked so flawlessly. Um, <laughs> I was gunning for zebras in America, or zebras nice. in America, I should say, uh, on this side of the Atlantic. So, um, yeah. Thanks well, that's so how. Much for me, well, guys. that's how they say it in the movie, like when um, Tom Green and his dad are, are kidnapped towards the end, and then there's like that news. Uh, Set segment and they're like around the world like one of the reporters does say zebras in america oh yes so. yeah no i think they have a faux bbc right because yes it's yes world, it's yeah, world yeah. news yeah um, and also it... yeah sorry no and also no, i always say that uh pronunciation anyway is a form of form of oppression but i also i know if i'm listening to a canadian podcast because they'll sound american and then they'll be like xyz and i'll be like what Right. Or they'll be Not like, sure. oh yeah, sure. Like they'll say that. And that's, oh, you're Canadian. Like, that's well, I just how meant like calling the letter ZZ. Sure, sure. I was just trying to add on and make Well, maybe they our, say, our maybe the they North. say, maybe they say zebra in Canada. I'm, I'm not sure. That might be a little, one of Tom's tip of the hat to uh, his homeland. That's one of many. Oh, damn. I, I forgot. Oh, oh, yeah. Duh. He's Canadian. That's right. Right. So, yeah. How do you, what is it like being a film critic in the age of uh, where we just live in a confederacy of dunces where people don't really read much and and have mm. really bad taste? Well, um, 
it's uh I, I, I must admit I'm fairly um green around the gills in terms of my uh my illustrious new uh film criticism career. Um I kind of started in earnest uh late twenty nineteen. Um and through a friend of a friend of a friend I, I managed to get this thing completely against the odds into to sight and sound that was all about uh cross dressing in Chaplin's early films. Um so that was uh that was kind of the beginning of it and uh yeah, but uh, Confederacy of Dunces. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I I don't get a huge amount of feedback on uh, on what I do. I kind of just send my babies out into the the wild yonder. And um, although having said that, I did I did meet um, one of my uh, uh, my friends in real life. Uh, apparently, before we even met each other, had read that um, that Chaplin piece, and uh, and then we ended up meeting, you know, uh, online and stuff. So uh, that was a nice. It's always nice to feel, uh, uh, to remember that someone is actually reading this stuff. Um, and then, of course, on Twitter, now that I'm hopelessly addicted to, uh, to film Twitter, um, and uh, so I get, you know, lots of nice uh, comments and feedback there. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm really enjoying it, though. And, and, like, I'm very pleased to have come away from a global pandemic with uh, a shiny new career. So, yeah. Sure. That's awesome. Yeah, I... Um... Yeah, I don't know. It, it's of course I'm, I'm addicted to Twitter as well. It's it's such a weird gamble of like you come across these people who are just like have such great opinions on film, even those that like di- differ from yours. I find myself following more folks on Twitter. I'm using air quotes film Twitter who kind of don't like the stuff I like or have difference of opinion, but they're still kind of intelligent about how they present their views and stuff. But then of course, like Scott was saying, there's like a lot of like just dummies and it's not even about opinion it's just people tweeting just like wrong infactual things when there's no excuse because we're on twitter with these for the most part these little computers that we have in our pocket so it's like you could just use google real quick before you tweet out something that's wrong which always kind of gets to me but um no for sure well i mean it's 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 a it's a hot take based economy right you know there is more than uh, ever more than ever yeah this sort of um, innate pressure to to say something, anything, and ideally before someone else says it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, a tweet and delete—that's uh, my mantra for sure. Um, <laughs> I'm uh, yeah, big believer in a, a Stalinist revision of history, of my own personal history. But um, but yeah, I totally get what you mean about you know being exposed to. Um, intelligent people sort of very intelligently having the wrong opinion on things that's definitely a big part of my twitter experience like this whole vulgar or tourism thing is it's a it's a whole new world for me these uh these uh paul w sanderson stands and stuff i it's all over you know it's over my head but i, oh, hi, I, I appreciate the enthusiasm Oh, yes. Hi, Martin. He's a big Paul W. Sanderson guy. Yes. I'm gathering this. I'm gathering this. I mean, hey, it's it's been yonk since I saw a Resident Evil movie. So, you know, maybe they're fabulous. The first one. The first first Resident Evil is a big deal because a guy who went to my high school is Eric Mabius. He's he's from my town uh, and he's the he's like the co-star of of, of the first one. So we're such a small town that any, any somewhat famous person isn't like a big movie. It's kind of a big deal for us. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, so we love Uma Thurman. She's also from. She she's she's probably her and Emily Dickinson are are, are the two biggest uh, deals. 
where I'm from. There you go. There yeah. you go. We had <laughs> we had Uma Thurman in uh, in my cinema here in London. I'm uh, uh, that's how I keep the lights on. Is I, I'm an usher at the Prince Charles Cinema, which is this repertory cinema just off Leicester Square. And yeah, yeah. Um, we've had a few superstars through the doors. I showed uh, Kim Cattrall to the bathroom, and I was like, "Fucking hell, that's Gracie Law!" You know. Oh, nice. It was, <laughs> it was yeah, pretty cool. Um, and yeah, Uma Uma Thurman and. Uh, but then some less illustrious, you know, British celebrities that shall remain nameless. So we've been, I, I, I think, Scott, you wanted to say something. I'll get to that in a second. But when, when you spoke about working at a theater, we've obviously, for well over a year, the ongoing on and off theme has been COVID and, and whatnot. But we've only gotten these perspectives from, like, an American point of view. Like, so what, what, what's it been like? Just how long was that theater closed? Is it reopened? Like, what, what's, what's the deal on, on, on your side of the world with that? Yeah, got you. So we locked down like March 2020 and that was the the cinema the cinema's doors shuttered for a good long while till I think goodness, see if I can remember now. We've been in and out of, you know, lockdowns and we've had we've had tiered lockdowns, so you know, depends which tier you're in and all this stuff. Um but I think we sort of we we reopened around sort of September time last year and then immediately had to close again. So, oh, um no. We're currently shuttered until May the 17th, I believe. Um, so uh, if we have any uh, listeners in the UK right now, that's uh, save the date. Okay. Awesome. Um, but Scott. yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, oh, I'm sorry. I thought, like, Scott, it sounded like you, you, you were going to say something just before. It wasn't, I forgot. It wasn't important. Oh, damn. Sorry. <laughs> no, but I, I also asked Tamsin because just before you logged on i was talking to scott about theaters i like uh i guess i can say it now because it's it's okay to talk about but the brick theater here in brooklyn i'm going to be part of this my darren retrospective and it's an in-person deal so i'm going to be going back to the theater in may oh, to talk fabulous. about Maya darren along with some other people so I'm, I'm just very curious how that how that's been going and got you got you oh well um i uh i eagerly uh await the FOMO of uh, reading all about that. I'm a huge Maya Darren fan. That's so neat. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. It, it goes back to what you were saying earlier, too. I mean, you're the guest. I don't want to make this about, my, about myself, but the people who reached out to me reached out to me because like, I have this ongoing series on, on, on my film site about Maya Darren, just like her influences, both factual and just coincidental and just my own speculation. And it was just kind of like, oh, people are actually still reading stuff because like, what what we're doing right now, podcasting, especially in film, it's like podcasting, Twitter, stuff like that. So the whole written form, which also I really wanted to have you on the show because like I I really like your writing. I got caught up with with it all before we got on, so it's nice to know that people are actually still reading stuff. Um, well, that's so. that's very sweet of you to say. I actually yeah. um, I actually did a, a little piece about about Maya Darren last year um, for Sight and Sound, which was. Uh, really really uh lovely and rewarding yep. uh gig to get because I, I i was immersing myself in her her own writing about film which i'd never read before mm -hmm. and i've never come across a filmmaker with like just a, such a strong sense of their own genius <laughs> and and all other filmmakers innate inferiority like you know as far as she was concerned she had the whole cinema thing sewn up you know agree really uh, you know yeah, she also just represents that there was that, I don't know, something about, I mean, folks do it now, but like even in like 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, like filmmakers 
would also do like criticism and would like kind of give mm. you know their opinion on stuff that wasn't their own which is kind of rare which i guess around the 70s that kind of became a little more rare and i get why it's like you work in the industry you want to work with other people you don't necessarily want to say your opinion about one thing and insult another i think that's really what it boils down to but like yeah, yeah like that's one thing and also just she didn't hold her tongue about certain stuff and like I, I, I had recently learned all this time that like she couldn't stand Ingmar Bergman, but like right. Ingmar Bergman liked her films, which kind of yes. makes me a little sad because it's like to like someone and then have them not reciprocate it back. It's like in, in, in any kind of art form like that always makes me sad when I hear stories like that. And there's quite a few. Yeah, no, no, that, that but that makes sense, though. I, you know, I, Bergman, I must confess, is a, is a bit of a gap for me. But from what I've seen, I definitely uh, I can I can make that that linkage between. Bergman yeah. and Darren um, but yeah I mean she just seemed to abhor anything that that uh, that she hadn't been involved with um, yeah. yeah which is you know fair enough I mean like as as uh, you know 1943 I think you know if you wanted to point to any one person in the world who had as good an idea as anyone about you know what cinema was could be where it was going um, she would be the one for sure yeah um, absolutely but yeah but also going to your writing which will probably lead into like the movie of of discussion i you know i had noticed to not necessarily everything but just about the common theme or thread between a lot of your writing is kind of queer cinema Mm -hmm. Um, that'd be fair to say yeah well yeah even stuff that you know people would outright not even think about it's kind of like oh like even you know like something like uh like a douglas cirque film when it's just like yeah but rock hudson and like rock hudson's whole history which doesn't isn't necessarily in film but the fact that he's an actor and and he was gay all that mm-hmm. you know like even so little things like that up, up until the more obvious stuff like your writings on fossbender and not just fossbender but like the specific movies of his you, you know what i'm saying so mm-hmm. i assume that that's intentional Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I'm definitely interested in um, writing about film that draws out kind of latent queerness. I mean, I think that's that's, that's so much of a a kind of a fundamental part of how I watch films, how I enjoy films, is is, is teasing out those little pockets of, of queerness. I mean, I adore you know classical hollywood is really my thing especially at the moment and mm-hmm. i just um there's nothing better there's nothing more satisfying than to see a film you know made um during that period under the you know the immense uh, scrutiny from the hayes office or whatever and just to see a filmmaker get something so absolutely gay onto screen despite those those limitations is something i sure. find really exciting um, sure. which is definitely definitely a big part of cirque i mean um and especially the collaboration with with rock hudson in particular they, you know they were always kind of like sneaking in little winks and nudges like there's the the line in uh, all that heaven allows you know jane wyman and rock hudson in the car together and and uh she says, or oh, would you like me better if, uh, if I was a man? And this, ex- the expression on Rock's face is so right. perfectly right. ambiguous. Um, yeah. you know, he's not saying either way how he yeah. feels about yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so, and, and, and that, with the chaplain thing, which was my, my first bit of professional writing, you know, that was, you know, I really kind of like, I had moments of, of 
of sheer terror at this thing that I was, you know, supposedly submitting to a major film publication because I was essentially arguing that um, that Chaplin said trans rights in 1915, um, mm-hmm. which mm. like I. I if 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 anyone wants to check this out, there's a there's a short film that that Chaplin made in the teens called A Woman, which is his um he made several cross dressing themed films, but that's the last one he made. Mm-hmm. And it's so much more chewy and complex than um than just a you know, man in drag humour. It's 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 almost it's charged with it's something approaching like authentic eroticism which is it sounds insane but honestly check this movie out and um yeah like just there's something that's something i find really exciting as a queer person as a trans woman to be able to see a movie from like over a hundred years ago and see something of myself in it like oh these these uh these thoughts these feelings these uh these impulses whatever they were they've always they've always been here and like they they kind of sort of bubble away under the surface of of so much stuff. Sorry, that was rather a long-winded answer, but uh, that, no, I we're mean, here to just question. No, if you've <laughs> ever listened to Zebras in America, we're long-winded. This is yes. that's sort yes. of what we well, do. Well, I feel, I feel, I feel terribly at home. Um, Good. Awesome. Uh, well, yeah, because what's interesting is a movie that was recommended for us to talk about for this episode, which was actually a movie I never saw before, was. Um, Toshio Matsumoto's Funeral Parade of Roses, which in 1969, this sort of non-linear, um, experimental story of the underground gay culture of 1960s Tokyo, and also like low-key a retelling of Oedipus Rex, is uh, that shit. If you if this movie came out yesterday, even black and white people would be like. This movie's out of control. This movie's ahead of its time. This movie is subversive. This movie's dope. Um, mm. Yet it came out in 1969. And it. Uh, I was texting Marcus as I was watching it. I was like, yo, I didn't even know until I checked. But Stanley Kubrick definitely saw this movie. And he yes. was like, ha ha. And I was like, what yes. do you mean? And he was like, yeah, like it totally inspired Clockwork Orange or certain parts of it. Yeah, it, it's just like a thing now that everyone, it, it, it's almost at this point, at least if we're in the, in that bubble of like online film criticism or film Twitter, it's on the line of just like, you know, John Travolta and, and Uma Thurman dancing compared to Band of Outsiders or that scene in Eight and a Half. It's just kind of yes. like that. But then, you know, watching rewatching it, <clears throat> I've actually rewatched it twice in these last uh, couple of weeks after Tamsin had recommended it, and then it—I it, don't know what. Normally, like it's my whole thing to get movie connections, but I didn't even realize, like, oh shit, this even kind of went on to like the whole picture reveal scene in Get Out, or like Old Boy, or something like that. It's like, oh yeah, these are all kind of kind of even though, like Scott, you had said, it is kind of retelling of Oedipus Rex, but in like film form. Those movies that I just, those recent movies that I just mentioned, kind of also go back to Funeral Parade of Roses, especially Get Out, because Jordan Peele loves Kubrick so much, and not just The Shining. It does not just stop at The Shining. It's very, uh, you, you, there's a lot of Clockwork Orange nods in both of his in his films. So just the fact that, like what Scott was saying earlier, you know, you could trace it back, like Jordan Peele to Stanley Kubrick to Funeral Parade of Roses, like that. That's how connections work, even if they're subconscious. So, 
Yeah, and, no, for yeah, sure. Tam, Tamsin, what what made you bring this movie to the table for us to discuss? And I really liked it, by the way. Oh, fabulous. Well, I, I'm glad. I, I do feel terribly anxious recommending anyone anything, but especially something as uh, gonzo as this. So I, You got to get over it, though. You, you're yeah. now an, you're, you're a film critic. You have an I'm important taste voice. Maker. <laughs> if, if you recommend something, it's on yeah. them. If they don't like it, fuck them. Like, you yeah. know, if like someone asked me to recommend a movie, they're like, you have a film podcast, recommend me a movie. And I do. And they're like, oh, I didn't like it. I'm like, sorry. Yeah, no, well, I, 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 I applaud your, um, your terribly American attitude and I shall try and, uh, manifest it in myself. Um, yes. Uh, well, it's just so my, da- my, it's my Taoist approach of there ain't nothing I can do. Love it. You know, I know <laughs> genuinely adore that. Um, but as far as, so, um, why did I recommend this film? Well, it's, you know, kind of speaking bluntly, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly obsessed with it. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting you bring up the, uh, the Kubrick connection because that's how the film was introduced to me. And, and like you were saying, I think it, how it's introduced to a lot of people um, yeah. because, yeah, there are some striking similarities to, uh, to Clockwork Orange at, at various times. So I, my, my, my good friend Lexi, shout out Lexi, was telling me about this movie that's like it's like it's like Clockwork Orange but it's about trans girls in Tokyo and it's it's better than Clockwork Orange and it's uh, you're not going to believe it and I remember her describing um, you know these sequences with you know these girls all dolled up smoking weed listening to psych rock with hippies talking about Jonas Mikas and I was I just genuinely couldn't believe that this thing was real you know and and as a trans you know film fan you know i've been burned so many times you know in terms of hearing about a movie that seems to have some kind of interesting um ahead of its time bit of representation or subtext or whatever and right the representation can often be disappointing very absolutely sure they're they're never what you want them to be and and so watching this for the first time was was so special to see, um, you know, I, my my life is not nearly as exciting as, as Eddie's is in, in the film, but, you know, seeing a trans girl, you know, fucking, <laughs> you know, sharing a joint with her hippie friends and listening to psych rock, you know, I felt seen in that moment, you know, and representation mm. does matter. We, you know, Absolutely. those of us on Twitter, those of us on I, Twitter know <clears throat> this. But I always, but to go deeper, I always, because I'm in a... <clears throat> I mean, gender and race are different, but at the same time, like as a black film fan, we're in this era of just like Lena Waithe given free range to do whatever she does. And then you have like just so many things that are essentially just like an offspring of Get Out now that like people are just like, right. oh, you're going to love this movie. And then I see it and it's just like, not really. But um, yes. I, to, to add on, I always feel like natural, good, organic representation matters because when you just leave it at just representation matters, it's kind of like. It, it can get a little flat, a little bland, and a little surface, which can oh, end absolutely. up sometimes being just as insulting. Not not even intentionally, but just that's just how it comes off. So yeah, right. No, no I, I, I sorry. No, no. Uh, I was just gonna. I was just gonna say I agree one hundred percent, and I was being uh, entirely sarcastic, which um, no, I, no, I know, I know. Terrible, <laughs> a terrible habit of. But um, no, no. I'm I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm Mister Like. Too often, I'm like, come on, be serious. But, um, but no, you. but I, I do have a sense of humor. I, I, I know you've been sarcastic. I just always have to 
jump in because it, it's my as Scott has mentioned and many people throughout my life I'm very uh, literal minded uh, gotcha. about a lot gotcha. of things so yeah you know. my thing is that how I feel and I'm I'm sure you know as a cis hetero straight white dude I'm sure people really care about how I feel about these things um, yes. how I feel though is coming from a background in social work and and social justice, um, intersectional representation is important because it's indicative of the world that we live in. So if you're if you're making a movie about you know white firefighters in Staten Island, then it makes sense that they're all white people because they're it's in Staten Island. But if you're making a representation of a world, it makes sense that we it represents the world and. And when I see people that come from groups that are not often celebrated or depicted in movies, comic books, or any sort of media, and when they do, they're not treated with respect and dignity or just, you know, like a regular person if they're just be trying to, if, if they're just like a character. When I see when they're, when, when it's done right, the joy that it brings to people, like, why would you be against that? That's just so weird to me. And what I really liked about this movie is like, yeah, there's like a lot of counterculture going on, but there's also like nonchalant moments of, yeah, just like smoking weed and listening to psych rock or like little, little scenes like shaving. I was like, whoa, wow, that's like a really powerful scene, but it wasn't done like it was done subtly and like that it was just part of the part of the day what someone yeah. does and i remember oh sorry sorry Go. no please no, finish your thought i like i like it when it's done in that sort of way where it's just like this is just someone's life yeah no for sure like i remember i think it was on my th- my third rewatch i i keyed into this thing that i'd never spotted before where one of the girls it's not eddie it's one of her friends is is doing these vocal exercises with like a tape where she's practicing like her vowel sounds, um, which is exactly what I've been doing for like the past few months. You know, I do it on my iPhone, but it was so striking to see this thing that was so like, to to think, oh my goodness, you know, like if you were a trans girl in, in Japan in the 1960s, you'd have to somehow get a hold of this tape and, you know, send off for it and in hope and pray no one else, you know, uh, intercepted it on the way or, or whatever but it was just a it's it's it offers it's offers such a such a unique and 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 detail orientated and textured view into this i mean it's not just you know um you know a generalized trans history it's you know a very specifically um japanese maybe even a specifically tokyo experience that it's that it's um portraying but yeah you you beat me to that because I, <clears throat> I, I yeah i really wanted to hammer home too just the whole idea of all of this everything that scott and you have just described like going on in tokyo japan where it's like i get it from like an outside view like oh like japanese tv and movies some of them are weird but like from a realistic standpoint it's very conservative you know or at least certain sectors of it are so for this kind of stuff it's not even necessarily like just being open and trans or open and gay, but just little things like smoking weed. Like even mm. weed is such a huge no-no. 
in Japan, yeah. like you get into you get into deep shit, and 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 we're just talking weed. So even the harder stuff, you know what I'm saying. So for it to be so casually shown in, in a movie, just little things like that is groundbreaking. Like, yeah, like I I don't know, I don't, I, we're not gonna jump to the to the end, but it's just like just the ending alone is it's so powerful. But even without that ending, all the just regular stuff, all the stuff that happens in this movie is really so powerful that like. It doesn't even need the ending, even though the ending is such a huge... It's, like, this crazy reveal. But, like, the movie... Long before we get there, like, I think you, someone had already said it. It's just so groundbreaking, just for all the little things that are just so casually presented, you know? It's, it's and, a great... And, it's Oh, sorry. No, <laughs> sorry. please. You, you, you first, please. Um, I'm just, just going to say, just coming off the back of that, I think it's a great, it's a great hangout movie. Like it's one of my favorite yeah, sure. hangout movies. And obviously it, it is, it does, it does build towards this, you know, really quite, you know, dark um, place, but the, the kind of the getting there and just all the little, the little, it's very episodic and all the little trials and tribulations that Eddie goes through. Um, I just find it, you know, it's it's a funny it's a funny movie. It's a playful movie. You know, it's it's very formally playful. You know, with you know, kind of all these sort of pop art flourishes and uh, kind of lots of lots of like movie nerd, you know, insider humor. Like you know, the references to like Jonas Mikas and I adore the the filmmaker character um, Guevara. You know, with the false beard. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's very it's very specific it's 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 you know it's uh you know it's this very specific pocket of 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 gay culture at a very specific time and place and right. then it's also about how that inter seems to intersect with um with a kind of uh with a you know imported sort of hippie culture you know because there's the girls at the at the bar at the gay bar when they're hostesses but then there's this kind of other milieu that they seem to exist in that is just seems to be sort of straightforwardly hippie-ish right you have like the Beatles posters you have you have dope um and you have long hairs talking about you know radical filmmaking and I I I I really there's something it's 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 very unusual to just you know in terms of world cinema to see representations of the intersections of of those two marginal groups kind of like the the freaky hippie beatnik thing and a sort of a, a queer, um, a queer group. And I like how sort of, yeah, like nonchalant and, um, just kind of unremarked upon it is that the, of course these people would be hanging out, you know, cause they like to smoke, they like to smoke dope. They like to listen to the same music, you know, and, and of course we'll get some, you know, trans girls around. Uh, right. Really, and this is really cool. This is something that I was thinking about because so we have, we have, you know, 1969 Tokyo. Then you have this counterculture and this stuff happening. And so it's it's the end of the 60s. It's not, it's right after Woodstock. And also, you know, these cultures are not a monolith. So uh, on the other side of the pond, uh, uh, a few months, a few months later, uh, a few months beforehand, you know, you have Marsha Linehan and the the Stonewall riots, which are just, you know, uh, LGBTQ uprising of people that just wanted to be in a bar and be left alone that turned into its own sort of uprising. So you have this fever pitch of of people just sort of wanting to 
live, you know, and mm. in different in different sort of ways. So I think it's really fascinating that this movie, the Stonewall, the Stonewall Uprising, and Woodstock are all happening around the same time. And I wonder, uh, you know, I wonder if Marsha P. Johnson ever ever saw, you know. Uh, I mean, we can. We can only we can only hope that yeah played some you know some art house and uh, she she found herself there and you know I I've always find myself thinking about stuff like that I mean it's not these, impossible these are things I, I think about I may I think I said Marsha Linehan which I don't who's someone else entirely as a person but yeah I just she? think how like like was Mar- did Marsha P Johnson know about this movie It's completely possible that. Some art house theater in the village was showing right. it. Sure, and you could see how the how the the fight and experience of LGBTQ plus people, and obviously the language then was very different. You know, I was trying sure. to read a review by Roger Ebert of this movie, Funeral Parade of Roses, when it came out, and. I believe that he was really trying to not be offensive, but the language was like he was changing the words he was using. It was some Mm. words are definitely words that we wouldn't use now. Some words I think might have been offensive when they were used. And this was this was a a four star review. Someone trying to, you know, so it's really interesting, like the because the language of of that of this community has definitely grown throughout time. No, for sure. Well, I mean, the, the the film's relationship to language and the language of queerness that it that it uses, the way that it articulates the various characters' identities is really interesting to me. I've seen a couple of different translations of it, and sometimes I've, I, th- I think I've seen an earlier translation that plays slightly faster and looser with pronouns. But, you know, it's very interesting what you were saying about, you know... Um, Obviously, Japan, uh, especially then, uh, you know, fairly conservative culture. Um, it's interesting the way that the film kind of it, it plays out some of the kind of like the same cultural anxieties that you might see in like an Ozu movie, um, especially mm. with the kind of like generational divide within the within the sort of the the gay boy quote unquote gay boy community um because you have the older queen right leader who's um she's very prim and proper and she dresses in like kind of geisha type yeah. garb mm-hmm. and then you have Eddie who's the younger girl um who's all kind of like it's all very you know groovy carnaby street you know mini skirts false eyelashes you know this sort of stuff and to me it kind of it reminds me of some of those those kind of like cross-cultural slash intergenerational conflicts that would kind of show up especially in the post-war ozu films um you know where uh you know the older parents are having to get their head around this these sort of imported like dating customs um yeah. where the the young daughter will be going off with like an american gi or whatever and they're not yeah. used to this sort of informal style of like american dating so i definitely i think it's kind of very interesting to see that even within this sort of rarefied countercultural space those same anxieties can kind of 
play out and replicate themselves. Absolutely, damn. This that that <clears throat> that Ozu comparison is, is kind of like blowing my mind right now. I didn't even like think <laughs> right. about it <clears throat> because to some degree, Ozu represents <clears throat> that. I mean, he was a little earlier, but still, like when you think of like Japanese art house cinema, he's one of those like two or three main names. And I, yes. it, you know, to some degree, it's you know like Funeral Parade of Roses, but not just that movie. Like his whole filmography, in a way, was kind of like the anti to that. But yet at the same mm-hmm. time, like you can still draw like an easy comparison. It's almost like you know, like you know, Godard, Truffaut, etc., trying to like not be Brisson or like the people who who came before them. Right. Uh, yes. You know. Wow. Damn. That's really cool. Yeah, I suppose in Japan, Ozu might have been regarded similarly, right? You know, a kind of, uh, what's yeah, it called? Yeah. What's the Caillou thing? Cinema de Papa, right? You know, yeah. like the um, the old guard. And, and yeah, yeah, like exactly. Formally, formally speaking, a film like Funeral Parade of Roses couldn't be more different from an Ozu film. But I just, um, it's interesting to me. I mean, yeah, like lots of, you know, kind of post-war Japanese cinema. I mean, it's I'm no expert on, on this uh, on this stuff, but it seems like those um, intergenerational anxieties and kind of like cultural cross-pollination anxieties of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the influence, the encroaching influence of like American uh, sensibilities and cultural ideals, you know, kind of arriving in Japan. I, I yeah. think that it's very interesting the way that that, that still seems to be reverberating through this film, which again, it appears to exist within this very specific, you know, almost, you know, kind of cloistered subculture. Yeah. Um, even, yeah, I, I even think about like the weird, the interesting, um, how, how, how things translate when cultures take on other ideas, like post-war Japanese street food of, tr- that exists like Okonomiyaki or, Otofuko were like they're trying to mimic what Americans liked but ended up making like donut holes with squid in them and yes. like yes. pancakes with mayonnaise on top of it and and it's super delicious but it's this strange Xerox facsimile of of culture and and so and I I sort of I sort of just dig them trying to figure it out and uh, yeah, also that ending, huh? How about that ending? Yeah. How, so, how about it? Yeah. Uh, spoilers. So let, I let, mean, I guess yeah. you know it, you can watch this movie on Mubi or on Canopy. So, gonna give you a couple seconds before we talk about the ending of the movie. Okay. You had fifty plus years to see. Sorry. Yeah, but I I watched it yesterday, so that's true. So fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Not everyone so, has access to art house films. Like, sorry. Very true. Very true. We're not talking about Deer Hunter, though. No. Spoiler alert: the last the last sentence of the movie Deer Hunter is, you know, he was always such a good deer hunter. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. There we go, and there it is. Yeah. So yes, uh, spoilers ahead, and, and we are entering um, problematic. Uh, territory, gentlemen, get your um, <laughs> you get your uh... oh, I fucked that up. Sorry, forget it. <laughs> yeah, forget see, it. now I'm trying to think of a get your uh... oh man, keywords or 
Content Trig- warnings? Is that trigger content warnings? warnings content warnings trigger at the warnings. ready. Trigger warnings at the ready. I We're prefer the word content warnings to to trigger warnings. And I do have a complicated thought about this stuff coming from a mental health perspective. Perspective, right? But we tend to not do them that much. Um, but I think I think content warning warning is better language. Though yeah. now I feel like I'm mansplaining. Um, no, 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 like it's, 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 I feel it's fine. No, 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 don't be silly. Don't be silly. Um, but no, this is the, this is the aspect of the, the, the film that, um, because it's a film of, of many different components, right? Like it has this sort of slice of life hangout thing going on. And then it's also mm-hmm. a sort of a quasi documentary. And then it's a bit of a collage and it's, you know, it's a really rich film, but then at the core of it, you kind of have this psychodrama with, with Eddie, um, who is, you know, uh, as much fun as she's having is really a bit of an unhappy camper. And uh, over the course of the story, we kind of delve into to why. And it's, uh, it's mommy issues, it's daddy issues. And this is like the aspect of the film that's um, uh, tends slightly towards the, the killer tranny trope um, or, uh, you know, kind of we're getting slightly closer than we might like to um, Buffalo Bill territory uh, right. with this side of the story. Um, so I'd be interested to to know um, your guys' perspective on all of this. Well, what pops out to me is what I was <clears throat> saying before is that this movie at a certain point, it's so free form. It's so just like free flowing. It's this hangout thing. But then the ending kind of brings it all back. And then if I guess if it's like your first time watching it, you don't pay attention to like there are little minor clues that like do lead towards the ending. And it's just like, oh, shit. You you know what I'm saying? Like it just kind of adds on to the genius of this movie where like for the most part you think it's like, um, oh, it's just this kind of like free kind of film. But there's actually kind of like a really strong plot all the way through that, you know, that that kind of essentially ties not everything but just like it brings everything together and it just adds this extra layer of like oh damn this movie's awesome yeah this movie's like no, well thought sure. out you know it's got a really nice sort of cyclical quality as well i mean there's lots of repetition in the film repeating images and kind of uh yeah this sort of slightly um reflective quality to the to the way the images are structured and um yeah, mirroring is uh, is a is a big uh, is a big thing in in the movie. So, uh, shall I just sort of lay lay the twist out? Yes. Yeah, please, please. Okay. So, uh, Eddie, the up and coming queen um, at the uh, at the bar. So it's like it's like a gay bar, and there are uh, hostesses who. Um, so I mean, I obviously I'm biased here. I would want to describe them as as trans women like we've established, you know, the, 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 the lines between trans woman, drag performer, et cetera, et cetera, were a lot blurrier at the time. Um, it was and different. It have, yeah, for sure. And, you know, and, 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 you know, again, we can't discount the sort of the, the cultural specificity of, of this gay boy culture that the film is specifically uh, describing, but I, I would feel comfortable describing them as, as trans feminine. Um, so yeah, Eddie's the, the, the young up and coming queen, uh, at the bar and, um, her, she's kind of got, a, a kind of a sugar daddy thing going on with Gonda, I believe his name is the owner mm-hmm. of the bar, mm-hmm. uh, who is ostensibly, um, with, uh, 
leader uh, who's kind of yeah she's like the the gay boy old guard um and she's kind of on her on her way out gonda wants to face her out and instill eddie as the new like queen bee um so we over the course of the film there are these flashbacks to to eddie's upbringing kind of pre-transition um father not in the picture although there's this recurrent image of the burnt photograph with a you know a missing space for an absent father we can only assume um and uh and we kind of understand that her relationship with with gonda is is founded on um on daddy issues and then at the end of the film uh once uh leader's uh been done away with or she's done herself in um because she's cottoned on to um the infidelity um it turns out that Gonda is Eddie's father uh, and he kills himself and then she stabs herself in the eyes and she wanders out into the street and it's fantastic. These brilliant, you know, wide angle images of her just looking yeah. absolutely gorgeous with, uh, with her eyes hanging out uh, and, you know, this crowd of onlookers and, and that's where we end the film. Um, so I think that's fairly succinct, right? Did I miss anything? No, no, no. Um, so, were you taken by surprise? Yes. Yes, I mean you would be. Yeah. You would be. Yeah. I mean, especially the first time I saw it. I, I, up until these last couple of weeks, I haven't seen this movie in years. But going back to when I first saw it, man, like when I was in my twenties, it was like, oh shit, whoa, you know? Yeah. And I think it was it was around that. <clears throat> that that's what's crazy when I first saw this movie. It was around that time when, like, Old Boy was popular. Like, it was like, I don't know if anyone remembers. Like, Old Boy came out in 2003, but it didn't even get real, like, major attention in the U.S. until, like, like 2005. So, yeah. like, I saw both those movies around the same time, and then I just, you know, so. But, yeah, the, the same type of kind of shock. Like, oh, my God, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's it has a particularly kind of... Of, of nightmarish quality it kind of reminds me almost of uh, of fire walk with me where it's one of those things where oh. it has a relate an interesting relationship with with you as an audience knowing and not knowing and and eddie as the heroine knowing and not knowing i mean that's the thing with fire walk with me right it's like laura knows and leland knows and laura knows that leland knows that laura knows and and bob knows everything right you know so it's yeah. this kind of but it's this unspoken thing and really like you're saying throughout funeral parade of roses there's you know there's really enough to go on you know um in terms of of where it's going or where you know but uh, you get so caught up in you know there's so many so many different other pockets of interesting stuff going on i mean i mean we haven't even gotten all to all the sort of political upheaval that's bubbling away in the background and you know this kind of um strange performance art in the streets you know there's so many uh so many wonderful things going on in this film um that it's very it's quite devious and it makes that it makes the twist land with that much more of a thud right that that really you've you've had the pieces of this puzzle um but you've just been too busy to put them together sure yeah that that, i mean you said it better than what i was i was trying to say earlier but yeah exactly that like the movie could have ended on some other note and I would have forgotten about all the little clues that were laid out before. Like, I wouldn't even thought about it, you know? Mm. I thought it was just like, oh, these are like stylistic choices, like the picture with the face burned out and all that stuff. Like, I wouldn't have, 
you know, they, they could have gotten away without this, like, shock twist ending, you know? Yeah, for sure. And so, it's, and, and, and yeah. part of you, I mean, I mean, every time I watch the movie, there's a part of me that wishes that, you know, she could, you know, get away scot-free and we, and we didn't have to do this. I mean, and I think, so this is the, this is the part of the, the film that is more traditional in its depiction of, um, of, of like gender non-conforming people, right? That there's, the film puts a fairly fine point on the idea that, you know, um, uh, Eddie's gender expression is uh, is a result of this uh, terrible upbringing that she's had, and that then Gonda turning out to being the father is it's like the, the the sins of the father, you know, visited on both the father and the child, or whatever, in this terrible incestuous, you know, uh, tryst that's been happening unbeknownst to either of them. Um, so I think you know that's the first time I saw this movie like my heart sank a little bit at that I mean I think the thing that's the thing that makes it more palatable to me is that it's just it's just very well done and I like you know from a from a purely formal perspective it's very it's good psychodrama I mean I, and I love that in amongst everything else that's going on in this film it has time to be kind of a repulsion riff you know amongst everything else you know that it's got some Polanski DNA in there as well. Oh man, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I was I thought about this earlier. I was wondering if we were going to get to that. Yeah, exactly. Good, good, excellent point. Shit. So I like. I think. Um, I think you know. As much as I, I wish that, um, that the story resolved itself in 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 you know a slightly different way or, or didn't didn't take that particular narrative path. I you know I can't fault the filmmaking and I can't point. Uh, I can't fault um peter's performance as eddie we've not mentioned peter yet who was a um uh, a trans stroke gender non-conforming stroke plus you know it's difficult to uh, ascertain exactly how they understood themselves um but uh their their performance as as eddie is is really remarkable really poignant and vulnerable and um so I think it's for me this film it's a bit of um it's a bit of give and take you know I I uh, I'll I'll let it have its its sort of histrionic tranny psychobabble because it gives me you know the mini skirts and the pop art editing and and and, and all this sort of stuff and what I think is really neat is it gives in its kind of documentary aspect it gives voice to the performers in the film, the gender non-conforming performers in the film, to sort of comment upon what they think of the story, and they kind of it's it's the it's the actor who plays leader, who's kind of, I think she kind of has some kind of little aside about the whole plot seeming a bit you know far-fetched, and I think it's really cool of the director yeah. um, to kind of afford that opportunity to the people that are um, bringing the story to the screen, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> Cuz yeah. yeah, also yeah. you know, sometimes especially with older movies and and movies that exist way before we're starting to understand growing language and li- the living organism that is language is that older movies might get some and newer movies too, but 
other movies might get something so right and then something so wrong. I was very disappointed with the ending because up until then it was, you know, very defining film art, you know, nonlinear doing lots of stuff. And then it went with this sort of, yeah, tropish ending that I could have done, done without. But the self-awareness of it, like of them breaking the fourth wall to talk about the movie, sort of sort of allowed it that they also knew that it was a stupid ending. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> intention, intentionality is, you know, it's forever uh, an interesting question. I'm sure you, you would agree. Um, and, and, and teasing out the intentions behind this film, you know, it's, it's an, an unendingly interesting thing for me because, you know, that it does have a sort of an earnest streak to it, you know, especially with some of the uh, sort of on the street interviews with um, with with various queer people who don't appear in the film as characters. They're just, you know, talking heads on the street. And it, 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 at moments like that, it feels almost like a sort of a sort of a straightforward slightly polemical documentary sure presenting queer people speaking quite uh you know uh, straightforwardly about their lives so i think you know i don't i don't doubt that it's its heart is 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 firmly in the right place it's just it it is ultimately i think on some level you know because it which is interesting because there's so much of the film that feels kind of limitless that it could kind of go off in any direction and do anything that it pleases ultimately it kind of has to return to the center of its of its time and 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 place and resolve itself in a certain in a certain way but i mean i i do i you know i i I feel um i feel like a bad tran right now you know but i am terribly forgiving of this film because it's the uh, it's one of the only films um you know, and I'm and I mean this sincerely. It's one of the only films I can think of that treats transgender people, uh, transgender women, with any measure of like authentic um, eroticism or glamour. Like this is a sexy movie, you know, and it, it, it's a sexy movie that's sexy in the same way that you know Anna Karina in Goddard movies is sexy. You know, it affords mm. trans people that kind of cinematic you know lets them cast that kind of filmic silhouette and that's that's so rare like even today you know mm-hmm. for, for all of this or the misgivings i have about this film we don't have to take to watch eddie take off a wig and cry in front of a mirror at any point right. you don't you don't have to endure that you know i i love the way that you're introduced to her in the film where she's just you know, she's got a full face of makeup on in the shower and she's just like luxuriating in herself. You know, it's like these are the kind of images that, you know, if I ever get around to making my own films, they're the sort of the images of of of, of trans people that I'm really interested in 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 making space for. Um, so, yeah, as I say, I'm terribly forgiving of this of this film. <coughs> right. Of and also, no. oh, sorry. Yeah, I think like. What I what I found powerful in what you're saying is like we're just trying to make space so to figure where these stories can be told and considering this movie was made over 50 years ago it was it was definitely trying something and you know 
as we as we start to wind down, what are some other things you'd like to say about about this movie and and some and some of this related things? Okay. Um, well, I mean, honestly, I if if you're a fan of like of a sort of experimental new wave um, cinema of this period you know I, I think I would recommend it purely on 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 that basis um, you know it's it's very indebted to Goddard and um, other French new wave directors that I can't think of right now um, but it you know definitely wears definitely. its influences on its yes. sleeve in that respect um, so if you're if you're into that and I, I think that's another thing that really I appreciate about this film is you know sort of like the sensorial um, limitations that were placed upon filmmakers in terms of representing you know um, all these exciting things like homosexuality and transsexuality you know right they were being lifted everywhere but not very many filmmakers took full advantage of that you know you don't get very many films made in uh, you know the kind of burgeoning new Hollywood about queer people um, you know the, the, you know like as much as I love you know, Dennis Hopper, Robert Altman, you know, take your pick that, you know, they weren't necessarily very interested in, you know, shining a light on the world of gender nonconformity, right? You know, even though sure. they were experiencing an unprecedented period in film history that allowed them access to that subject matter. So I think it's something that it's, it's really gratifying to see a film that is that kind of on some level, you know, kind of could be trans, you know, breathless or trans easy rider it's it's kind of it is really gratifying to kind of find that film um you know ulti ultimately i mean i think it's it's you know it's a pivotal piece of uh of world cinema of queer cinema and um yeah it's just uh it's it's really entertaining you know like uh, unlike a lot of uh a lot of uh you know pivotal queer movies it doesn't feel like homework so um yeah no i would recommend it to to uh, to the broad-minded uh, and to to those uh, with a, a taste for or the not even yeah not even the broad-minded or, or not even you know if you're a really if you're a close-minded bigot check out Funeral Parade of Roses and maybe you'll have a good time <laughs> exactly we can, we can only uh, hope yeah and uh, Tanzan just want to say that you're invited back whenever and where can people find you oh well goodness that's that's very sweet of you to say i shall uh, i shall take that uh, that offer um eagerly um so uh you can find me um like we've said you know i have uh pieces in sight and sound every once in a while uh, i'm penning something for them as we speak which i can't speak about but uh so i'll be in next month's issue of that um and then i do stuff for the bfi's website fairly regularly i just did this um uh, write-up of Douglas Sirk, this where to begin with Douglas Sirk thing, which was uh, really uh, gratifying to, to do. I'm a big, big Sirk head. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Tamsin Cleary slash Agnes Harder. Um, I spend uh, much too much time on it. So if you if you're in need of more irony poisoned trans girls on your timeline, uh, hit me up over there. A uh, lot of good shit posting. I, I like to think. <laughs> You know, I make myself laugh. Makes me um, laugh, so. Oh, that's very sweet. Um, 
yeah so so that that that's me for the time being um but i'm hoping to sort of um to uh, broaden my horizons um get uh get some more writing done here and there um yeah no so uh, that's that's me awesome thank you so much and yeah like scott said we always have it's always an open invite if you've been a guest once you're invited back anytime so I well, I it feels great to be uh, an honorary zebra, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I look forward to uh, to making my uh, return. Thanks awesome. so much, right. guys. This has been absolutely gorgeous. Right. Thanks again. Mm-hmm.